Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we scratch the soccer riches you never knew you had. Listener, if you're familiar with the album Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, you may notice it's front-loaded. All the big hits come on the first side of the LP. Well, in the context of major soccer tournaments, 2022 is the opposite of Rumours. Most of the big stuff is coming up from this summer onwards. To use uh, parlance that Gareth Bale would appreciate, all the action is on the back nine. So on this episode, we're looking at the soccer schedule for 2022. What's coming up, what you should pay attention to, and why this year is a slightly strange one. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have Tater Rockwell. Hello. Graham Ruffin, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Hello, Graham. Did we all appreciate my Fleetwood Mac analogy at the start there? So backloaded, kind of like a Noel Gallagher Glastonbury set then? Yes, quite. I should have made that analogy, Graham. Yes, Noel Gallagher <laughs> playing seven solo songs and then seven Oasis songs to follow up. And basically, all the while playing his solo stuff, saying, just wait, we'll just get through these and then we'll get to the ones you like, I promise you. Basically, was his banter in between songs. Very good stuff, Graham. Um, so let's get back to the soccer, though. <laughs> Tater, um, 2022, I mean, lots of years lately have been weird, but 2022 is weird in a soccer context, isn't it? It absolutely is. And now you have me wondering, Ryan, if that uh, Noel Gallagher, for people listening to this like six months from now, we're recording this in late June. uh, That analogy feels like maybe it's appropriate for how this year might go, because it does seem like we're going to get maybe some teams not quite as focused on the front half of the season and maybe less inclined to play the hits in the front half of the season as they will be in the back half after that World Cup, because that Winter World Cup or the Fall Winter World Cup is definitely disruptive and going to make things pretty weird. It will indeed. Of course, the World Cup coming up in November, bisecting the European summer schedule. I just wanted to say bisecting. It's a nice word. Good Don't word. say often enough. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but let's get to that soon. But let's start off with this summer. Um, Tater, it seemed like there's not been too much action happening domestically as we record. I would say domestically and internationally as well. We've got the, uh, a certain important tournament coming up next week as we record. But uh, what else is happening and what is happening this summer? Sure. Well, uh, July 8th through the 17th, we've got Heineken Rivalry Week in uh, MLS. I'm sure that's what you wanted Ooh. to spend most of the time talking about. Yeah, let's uh, get into it. <laughs> yeah, there is that. But then uh, the, the bigger ones that you mentioned, uh, July 6th to the 31st would be the uh, Women's Euros. July 9th to the 24th would be the CONCACAF Women's Championship. Uh, and then we get the start of the season. We get MLS All-Star. Uh, we get the U-20 Women's World Cup in mid to late August. Transfer deadline day, August 31st. And then we get closer and closer to that start of the World Cup at the end of November, November 21st, when the tournament begins. I, I do quite like that with the, the Men's World Cup not being on this summer, that there will be quite a lot of focus on the women's game, which obviously yeah. isn't always the case. As you mentioned, there, Taylor, we've got the Women's Euros and the CONCACAF Women's Championship on the other side of the Atlantic as well we'll, we'll get quite a quite a big focus particularly with it serving as, as qualifying for the, the the Women's World Cup and also the 2024 Olympics but as far as I'm concerned on the, on the European side of things the Women's Euro, Euros I'm, I'm really looking forward to it starts on July 6th opening game is, is between England and, and Austria England the host nation all their all their group stage games are sold out so I think this tournament could be another watershed moment for the, for the women's game. We've had a, a few of them over the last 12 months with the Camp Now getting sold out and Juventus getting big crowds and so on and so forth. And they're expecting big crowds at this tournament. As I say, with there being no Men's Women World Cup, it's going to get all the focus in the UK this summer. And I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, as I say, it feels like another watershed moment for the women's game in, in the UK, certainly. 
Yeah, I think that's really exciting, Graham. I was in the UK um, a couple of weekends ago, and several of the sports stores had uh, the women's uh, national team shirts in, on full display. I'm not sure you'd have seen that a few years ago. And even watching the last Women's World Cup, I was back in the UK um, that summer when that occurred. And there was like a feeling in the air almost akin to a Men's World Cup. It was very, very popular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was on the main broad, broadcast BBC One channel. And it was the main topic of conversation, as soccer normally is in the UK. So I think we're kind of almost building to a crescendo with this uh, with this Women's Euros coming up. Absolutely. And, and in the UK, if there's football on the TV, on the BBC, on one of the terrestrial channels, people will watch it and it will have zero competition this summer, which is unusual. As I say, normally there'd be a Men's World Cup, which unfortunately, I think, had that been the case uh, normally, it would kind of overshadow the Women's World Cup. That's not, I'm not saying that's the way it should be, but just because of the mainstream coverage and so on. But there's not going to be that conflict now. And so I, I, am, I am anticipating loads of people talking about the Women's Euros this summer. Graham, do you know, is it is it expected to stay this way or will it move to sort of the, the off year of the World Cup? So Because that does then let them have that sort of relatively open summer. Mm-hmm. So if like, what, 2019, we've got the Women's World Cup in 2023. So like 2025, would, would you like to see them move the Euros to that summer as opposed to keeping it in an even year where it will have more direct competition? Yeah, so I have to say my research has let me down here. And I don't know whether that is the plan or not, but I personally... Mm-hmm would like to see them do it in the the alternate year for the exact reasons that I've just mentioned, how, giving yeah. the, the women's tournaments a, a real focus in years when there isn't a men's World Cup or a men's Euro, Euros, and obviously you can't hold it at the same time as the, the same summer as the women's World Cup. So, yeah, absolutely, I'd like to see it in that year. Good stuff. Tater, can you tell us about the CONCACAF Women's Championship? Yeah, the CONCACAF Women's Championship runs from July 4th through the 18th. It features eight teams split into two groups of four. The top two teams that advance to the semifinals, the winners obviously go to the final. Uh, the tournament itself will serve as a couple different things. It's the CONCACAF qualifiers for the 2023 Women's World Cup. The top two teams of each of the two groups will qualify for the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. The third place teams will then compete for a spot at the Intercontinental Playoff. Uh, then the tournament is also playing a role in qualifying for the women's tournament at the 2024 Summer Olympics in France. The winners of the tournament qualify automatically for the Olympics, as well as the 2024 CONCACAF uh, Women's Gold Cup, uh, while the second and third place teams will advance to the CONCACAF Olympic play-in. The U.S. for this tournament is in Group A with Mexico, Jamaica, and Haiti. Canada is in Group B with Costa Rica, Panama, and Trinidad and Tobago. This is the 11th time the tournament has been played, with the U.S. winning eight, so safe to say that the favorites canada won the other two so a usa canada final is the most likely scenario and graham how about euro qualifying or the lack thereof yeah so ordinarily qualifying for the euros would start in the september window after the world cup being in the summer but of course as we've mentioned a few times now and you might have already might have already heard the world cup isn't until november so qualifying for euro 2024 isn't starting until march 2023 which is rather late in the cycle to start that they actually started qualifying for the world cup before the last euros which is obviously which was obviously put back a year because of the pandemic and that was really weird and i found it strange that two cycles were overlapping um, but they're not doing that this time yeah, so looking back, Graham, the qualifiers for the Euro 2020 lasted a, almost two years. And mm-hmm. this next cycle is going to be condensed into March 23 to March 24. So uh, they're going to find a lot more breaks, I guess, to put this in. Yeah, and it means that the knock-on effect of having a Winter World Cup is going to be felt in some way, shape or form all the way up until the Euros in 2024. 
Indeed. Well, why don't we get to that, Tater? The Winter World Cup, um, obviously, it's going to have a bit of an impact. Uh, most leagues pausing for it. I'm assuming MLS is just going to plough through. Joke. Um, what, um, what, what are the implications for the major leagues, Tater? Uh, it means that they've got to do some some navigating, some creative scheduling, and I think most of them have. But I think that is going to be a really interesting thing to try to track. I'm not even sure what to pay attention to aside from fixture congestion, number of injuries, and how, how teams are sort of dealing with it if players start to get frustrated by the condensed schedules. Because I think I'm correct in saying you've got the Premier League and the Bundesliga starting on August 5th, which is earlier than they normally would. But then Serie A, for example, still starts at the end of August. All leagues going on a break right around November 9th, uh, or like, like November t- 14th, I think is the deadline for releasing players to prepare for that World Cup. Leagues then resume in various time frames after the tournament concludes. I believe the Premier League is the first one back with games on the 26th. Uh, So we've got Boxing Day games. You get that tradition continuing. That's a 43-day break between when players are released and when their first game back uh, occurs. But that is not a ton of time, given that the final is on December 18th. So it's going to be a pretty quick turnaround time. The Bundesliga doesn't start until later on in January. I think January 20th, that league resumes. Serie A comes back. Yes. January 20th. That's like a full month after the World Cup final, the Bundesliga season is going to resume. And of course, the Bundesliga always takes the longest winter break, but... That's still crazy in my mind. I'm not entirely sure how they're going to get all their fixtures done. It's wow. it, yeah, and I share that. Like I think I share that concern a little bit with Serie A as well because they're starting so late. I guess if they're starting a few weeks later, but then starting back up a few weeks earlier, maybe that cancels it out. Ultimately, it seems like some leagues are prioritizing not front loading as much or as many games in the beginning of the season and then trying to kind of figure it out on the back half and then there's some that I think are going to have a number of games and so you'll get players that are a little bit more tired based on where they're playing their club soccer. Taylor, don't be surprised if something in Italy is starting late. Be surprised that it's starting at all, is what I want to say. <laughs> um, let's take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the Winter World Cup and its impact on this crazy year, back shortly. Welcome back to Soccer 101. Um, Graham, we were saying before the break about the impact that uh, the World Cup will have on the major leagues around the world. What's occurred to me is uh, World Cup final on December 18th, uh, a full Premier League schedule on December 26th, and then there will be three games in that week leading through the new year. Um, So potentially quite a lot of players in that World Cup final could be Premier League players, uh, could have quite an impact on the Premier League there. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of which league will be impacted the most, I think the the Premier League is probably going to have certainly the most players missing from the most matches for the reasons that you explain, explain there, Ryan, and that they're they're starting up eight days after the, the World Cup final. Those Boxing Day fixtures are a real tradition, not just in England, but throughout the, the United Kingdom. And so there was a bit of pressure for them to, for those not to be ditched this year. I think people would be quite unhappy about that. But the price that is being paid for that is that a number of players might be missing from those games. And when you factor in that, Gareth Southgate has asked for the final round of fixtures before the World Cup, which is the weekend of November 12th and 13th. He doesn't want any big big six matches on that weekend. So that means any games between members of the big six. I think the idea there is he doesn't want any bad chemistry going into the World Cup. And also, he doesn't want any games with high stakes so that teams can rest players before the World Cup. He's trying to establish this gentleman's agreement between the big six where maybe some key England players might be given a couple matches off to rest before the World Cup. So when you factor that in as well, you could be talking about 
four or five matches potentially if players make the the World Cup final that they could miss of the Premier League season and that could have quite a big impact on on the season as a whole. Obviously the Bundesliga is going to have the the biggest break as we mentioned they're going to basically take off two months entirely for the World Cup um, a whole month after the World Cup final between that game and then the resumption of the Bundesliga season but in terms of players actually playing games you might not find that things are warped too much in Germany certainly not as much as in the Premier League. Wow, very interesting. Tater, how about things in North America with MLS? It, it seems on the face of it that this is quite well suited to the MLS schedule being uh, in November, December. I, I think you know the playoffs are going to have a slightly different time. But how does this impact MLS and its players? I think for me, it's really nice that we don't have to have the break that we normally do in the middle of the season. What we're talking about with the Premier League or the Bundesliga or La Liga, you you always have to have with MLS because the World Cup is occurring in the middle of their season. So they usually do, I think, a break for the group stage. And then the league resumes right around the knockout round, which always feels like a shot at the players playing in MLS. That Like, you guys aren't making the knockout round. You can come back and play for your clubs. Um, This time around, it'll be the end of the season, which... Normally, for for leagues, I think would be a problem because if you're just playing that 38-game schedule with cup games thrown in there, at the end of the season, you're done, but you're also very tired because you've played a ton of soccer. Because of the playoff format with MLS, unless you're a team that goes all the way to the final, you you get a, a pretty sizable break. You're going to have some players that have a couple weeks off before they have to re- report or uh, even maybe a week or two before like the, the tournament starts. And so I think that does give them a little bit more flexibility. I think you won't have a, as many players from MLS being quite as exhausted if they had a non-playoff structure. So ultimately, I don't think it's really going to do all that much one way or the other, other than it doesn't make MLS look weird for having a sort of middle-of-the-season break that they have to put in. And I think also, if you've watched a ton of World Cup soccer, though international soccer isn't always the best, it is the best players in the world playing soccer, you can see some of that individual technical brilliance and then ideally that team-wide brilliance. And I do think if you then go back to MLS in the middle of the summer season when it's sort of, we're not close to that kind of final playoff push, you're not going to get the best soccer. And maybe there's an argument that it helps the league from an optic standpoint of you're not going from the best players in the world to a few players who don't really want to be there playing in the August heat. Yeah, it's interesting, Taylor. And that is good that um, MLS doesn't have to take a break in the middle of its season. Checks notes, looks at 2023 season when the League's Cup will see all them well, teams taking a month off uh, <laughs> to play against uh, Mexican teams. Got it. Cool. Okay. Yeah, don't I, consistency uh, uh, in MLS uh, is not nearly as prioritized as variation from season yeah. to season. Yeah. Look, Ryan, they needed to sell Apple on a TV deal somehow. Yeah. Yeah, very true, very true. Well, Tim, Apple I wish, that, I wish that weren't as accurate as it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Apple TV coverage for what it's worth. Um, I suppose my question for you, Graham, is how does this affect the quality of leagues uh, going in and out of the World Cup? And how does it affect the quality of the World Cup itself? Uh, one would think that we might get a better quality, more perhaps more intensity than you'd usually get in an international soccer tournament because of the timing of it. Coming in November, coming in the middle mm-hmm. of where predominantly a lot of certainly the European-based players will be hitting their stride, so to speak. But does that come at the cost of the second half of the season being a little bit uh, downbeat? So I think we spoke about this maybe a couple of weeks ago and I could see it going either way. So 
my prediction is that the, the initial, the group stage of the tournament and the first round of fixtures of the tournament, players probably will be in better condition than they, they would normally be if it was a summer World Cup because they'll be mid-season. But then maybe as the tournament goes on, you might start to, fatigue might be more of a, a factor and you might start to see that in some of the performances just because when you have a summer World Cup, there tends to be a break of about three to four weeks between the Champions League final, which is traditionally the, the last match of the European season, and then the first match of a, of the World Cup or the Euros or whatever tournament it is. There tends to be a three to four week break, and so players are quite fresh coming into the, to the World Cup, whereas this time it's going to be a week between the, the final round of fixtures in the big five European leagues and the start of the World Cup. So, as I say, maybe the, the, the first few performances... Players might be in peak physical physical condition, but it remains to be seen how they will how they will cope as the tournament progresses. And then certainly, once you hit the second half of the half of the the season, I'm not sure. Maybe yeah. players are going to run out of gas towards the end of the the club season, the European club season. By the time you hit April and May, I do think that might be a factor. So I I don't really have a a solid conclusion or solid answer to that, just because this is completely unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this before. But there are some theories that say it could go either way. Yeah, and I, I don't like how we got here in that Qatar had a whole bid for how they're going to make a Summer World Cup work. They won that bid and then almost immediately said, never mind, it's got to move to the winner. Uh, but with that out of the way, I, I have kind of shot myself into the idea that this might be even better timing uh, for a, a good soccer tournament. Because if it were in September or October, that September window is always so frustrating because it's like, oh, the leagues are back. This is so oh, an international window. And it really does kind of kill the enthusiasm of the league. But by November, there is a little bit of like, oh, we're not quite to the like January window. We're not quite to that sort of Christmas holiday season fix your congestion where you've got games all the time. And and I think if you're a good team, you are starting to feel confident and, and kind of players are feeling their rhythm, feeling in form. If you're a bad team, I think that there's frustration starting to brew. And so if you have that break in mid-November, I just wonder if, if you're in a negative situation, if it's kind of a breath of fresh air. You get to go hang out with your national team and sort of it's just a, an opportunity to reset in a different location. And then if you're on a team that's doing well or playing well, you're riding that confidence, you're riding that form and you're coming in with a little bit of a swagger, but you're also not coming in with an entire season behind you. So I think there's an argument that the World Cup, this World Cup might be more exciting with better quality. I agree with Graham. I think that might fade as the tournament goes on, but I do think it will come at the cost of a coherent end to the season on the club side of things. I won't be surprised if we get some really surprising results in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. I won't be surprised if some teams struggle with injuries or just maybe if you are in that negative space, if let's say Man United, shocking that it would be Man United who would struggle <laughs> at the start of the season. But I wonder if some of those egos coming back in from, let's say, a disappointing World Cup, it, it might be a challenge to motivate them to get up for, after a bad World Cup, a, a sort of negative place to be resuming the season. And maybe you could have some impact well, there, too. Taylor, what you just described with players going away to the World Cup and getting a confidence boost and then coming back to their club teams, I believe that's called the Pogba paradigm. <laughs> Dude, don't give him more alliter alliterations. He will make more documentaries <laughs> using those things, Graham. Yeah, there's going to be a special hashtag and emoji for that very shortly, I imagine. Pogba paradigm. <laughs> uh, one final one from me, gents, is how this might affect the January window. We've seen traditionally, or certainly in 
World Cup's gone past that there's a star player that emerges and typically it's one that Real Madrid will go and buy yeah. like Hamas Rodriguez after the 2014 World Cup for example uh, yeah exactly that kind of thing so does that mean the January window becomes more important than the summer because the shop window has moved its location Graham I predict that the January window will be busier than usual you always get as you say there's always some some post World Cup transfer traffic players who impressed during the tournament who get moves immediately afterwards and I think there are some I don't think the impact on this summer window has maybe been as great as some of us might have predicted but I I do believe there are some players who are holding off on moving this summer because the World Cup is is just around the corner I was reading a report just the other day that Christian Pulisic apparently is reluctant to move in this January and sorry in this summer window because the World Cup is just around the corner and while his Chelsea situation is slightly precarious particularly with maybe players like Raheem Sterling and uh, Richarlison I think another one I saw and Rafinha maybe coming into Chelsea but he doesn't want to rock the boat too much because that World Cup is just around the corner but by the time January comes around maybe he feels a little bit more freedom once that tournament is out of the way so that's just a one example of how I think there probably are a handful of players that are holding back on on yeah. moves this summer because the World Cup is just around the corner. And then when you factor that in with the traditional post-World Cup transfer traffic, yes, I, I do think January will be slightly busier than usual next year. Graham, I, I agree entirely because normally you have the end of the season, you've got a couple weeks, then that World Cup kicks off. And so it's sort of... It's like in limbo almost. So if you're Pulisic, you finish the season with Chelsea. It was good. It was bad. There were mixed results here and there. We're not quite sure what's going to happen. But then there's this break and then there's the World Cup. And if he has a World Cup in which he scores a couple goals and looks really, really good, I think historically that makes Chelsea reconsider. Or another team comes in and says, like, you know what? We will pay that asking price because he had a great tournament. We thought he was good enough last season. And so we'll keep kind of going with that momentum this season. But because you don't have that World Cup, you have this break. It's sort of that limbo still exists. It just exists until the end of the tournament for some of these players. And I think kind of the same thing as uh, Frankie de Jong. I think his probably hesitation to move from a club where he clearly isn't wanted to move to a club where he is wanted, but you don't know how that's going to go. Like, better to stay with the devil you know and get some minutes and play for a team that are probably going to challenge for La Liga versus going elsewhere where you don't know what's going to happen. And so you, I do think there is a... Uh, a hesitation for some players and for some clubs to, to figure things out. Did, and maybe there will be an expectation that they wait till January to really reinvest. Did we not see also Louis van Gaal, I think, saying with Hurian Timber, who was linked with Manchester United, Ajax defender, basically don't move to Manchester United now in this window because yeah. your place in the national team might be at risk. If you're not playing at Manchester United, I can't guarantee that you're going to play at the World Cup this winter. So there's another example of maybe a player who will be looking to move in January if he has a good World Cup. But right now, it feels like a gamble. I think um, Van Gaal's sentence wouldn't have been that long, Graham. It would have been, don't move to Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's got a bit of, a, he's got a bit, a bit of an agenda against United at the moment, doesn't he? With Old good Louis. cause. With good cause, Graham, I would argue. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. All right, guys. Uh, I think that just about wraps it up. I always finish by saying that I am actually very excited by 2022, not just with the Women's Euros coming up uh, and the CONCACAF Women's Championship as well. But this World Cup is going to be a little different. And I kind of like when things are different and there's a change. And it's going to be a very different Thanksgiving and Christmas period this year. And dare I say it, Taylor, despite all the controversy around this tournament, obviously, it's quite exciting to look forward to it at that time of year. 
Yeah, I think right now we're in the like waiting to eat the the favorite part of the meal until the very end phase because like hanging out with family this past weekend when the World Cup normally would have been happening, it would have been nice to just turn on the TV and have that like, oh, we're all going to watch a game together. At the same time, speaking for myself, I wouldn't have been able to go to that family event if the World Cup were happening because I would be busy locked in a room watching way too, ma- too much soccer. So maybe that will end up being the case in November and it feels like then we will get opportunities to hang out with family and have soccer playing in the background, but World Cup soccer at that. And and I think that could be a, a really exciting variation to something we've seen previously. So in that way, I, th- I think it is exciting. Uh, and I'm with you, Ryan. I think the, the schedule is going to be fascinating. How everything plays out will be fascinating. Obviously, we still don't love Qatar as the host nation, but we always love a World Cup. I, I have to say, I am missing the World Cup this summer. It yeah. feels like a bit of a void in my right? life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm watching TV series. You're making me watch Obi-Wan Kenobi FIFA. <laughs> You'll never for- forgive you for that. <laughs> no good? No good, Is Graham? it not good? No, not my favourite. <laughs> oh, sorry to hear it, Graham. Sorry to hear it. I've heard mixed reviews, I should say that much. Uh, which is, you know, FIFA's MO as well. Anyway, thank you very much. That was Soccer 101. Graham, thank you so much for your services to Soccer 101ship. <laughs> thank you, Ryan Bailey. Tater Rockwell, pleasure as always, sir. A pleasure as always, my friend. Thank you, Ryan. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back next week with another. But for now, catch you later. Thank you.